Is Steve here somewhere? Can Steve stop this? Introducing Bespin World, new from Star Wars Micro Collection line. Imperial Welcome to the Star Wars Collector's Archive Podcast. It's a microcast. 63.5. Half episode with Sky Payne and the Mensch, Yehuda E. Kleinman, and special guests Ross Barr and Ron Salvatore, sharing the fun of the July 4th Star Wars party. And lots of information. Hop in the pool. It's surprisingly warm. Wampa Wampa. Wampa Wampa. So, this is not Steve. Uh, if it were Steve, he would say welcome to episode 63.5. Um, but Steve is back in somewhere in California. And, you know, the last episode we released was on July 3rd, and it's now July 5th. And uh, we actually, this is like an addendum episode. It's kind of a new idea. It's like a micro collection. So, uh, Yehuda, say, say hello to the audience. Hello to the audience. Okay, that's as much as you get to say as the, as, uh, the guest host here. Um, so, what we're going to do is, basically, I had, I had a couple ideas. Um, if you're looking at the enhanced version, you're going to be seeing a picture of everybody who came to this Star Wars party that was on July 4th, thrown by Yehuda the Mensch Kleinman. Now, first of all, we've decided to go back to the nickname, Yehuda. Do you like it? I'm very. Oh, it's 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 a nice one. It's a privilege. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. You don't feel it's too tough for your name? Uh, my name's tough anyway. You know, it's like people don't know if I'm like a background character in some expanded universe cantina or if that's my actual name anyway. So okay. So so Yehuda just, uh, works well, I, and we'll keep the mensch, and we don't need to change it to Menses. Um. <laughs> oh yeah, that would that would be appreciated. Yeah. So um, basically, like. I don't know. It was cool because it's July 5th when I'm going to release this, hopefully. Um, currently, uh, our kids are downstairs playing Minecraft and shopping for shoes and bathing suits for summer camp. Um, so we're up in Yehuda's AT-AT-IC. How do you pronounce this, Yehuda? It's the at attic. Yeah. So if you've seen the pictures on the Star Wars Collector's Archive uh, done by Fantastic Pete of his awesome limelight, you'll see Yehuda's collection. And so I basically had two ideas of, of this half show. Uh, one was to sort of share, because, you know, this is a totally open party. Yehuda invited everybody. So if you are a Star Wars collector and you were not here yesterday, it's your fault. So, wait, that sounds bitter. That does sound bitter. Yeah, see, that's well, what Steve does. Is know, when I sound bitter, Steve helps but me But, you out. know, actually, for people who don't know Sky well, he's actually the warmest guy in the world. Um, and I think what he meant to say was... If you didn't make it to this last party, we have plenty of them, and hopefully we'll have another one soon. So anybody who's in the area who wants to come around and has an interest, mostly in vintage Star Wars and, of course, hanging out with people who sort of have the same illness, please come on by. Yeah, see, that's, that's why you always have to have a nice guy next to me. Um, so, so basically <laughs> we had, we had two, two ideas. Um, so it was a party, and, you know, we, we recorded some audio, and I wanted to kind of sort of like – you know, Yehuda has a world-class co collection, and every once in a while we'd see something. And when you're with people who know as much about Star Wars toys as Ross and Ron and Yehuda, you wind up learning a lot. So I just kind of bring out the, the recorder and just sort of hit like, okay, just say it again. And they'd usually get annoyed, but it worked out okay. So we're going to put those sound bits in there. And Yehuda and I will just kind of come in here, sort of do little interstitial things. Like, you know. 
But he's not saying anything. So that's I'm not, I'm doing interstitial things. I just, I, you know, it, this isn't television. No, it's not television. So they can't see me. No, they can't see you not. Yet. Oh, no, you see, this is my first time really. <laughs> Steve, you need Steve, man. I do need Steve. I know, Steve, we miss you, brother. By the way, nobody should think in any way, shape, or form I'm filling in for Steve. You know, I'm just filling in for blank space when Sky's looking around the room trying to figure out what to do next. Yeah, I just, I, I, need, I need a soft edge here. Um, I, need a, I need a mensch. Uh, and then the other reason is that there's a couple of things from the last episode that I think need amendment. Um, so to one degree, there's a couple of factual errors that maybe could be cleared up a bit, um, particularly with the coin process because it's a very complicated thing and I think I said some wrong things. So I just want to clear that. The main thing is that you do not pantograph a soft copy. That, it turns out, is totally not true. So... Well, you'll hear all about that in a second. Um, but then the other thing was my Facebook rant. Yehuda, what did you think about my Facebook rant? You had a Facebook rant? Oh, yeah. He didn't <laughs> listen to the show yet because he's too busy getting ready for the party. I didn't, you know. So this is being recorded now and it's going to be released like, a, you know, I'm sure timely within the next three or four months. But actually, <laughs> the, new po- the last podcast was released five minutes ago, so I didn't really hear all of it yet. Well, the point is I went into a whole speech about how I was angry at how decentralized everything was and kind of the, the typical rant. And at the same time, I'm all trying to figure out how to get it to work. And Yehuda's pretty cool because he's one of the old guard who has found a way to sort of get with the times and be on all the Facebook groups. He's, he's a groupie and an old school collector. I would love to meet me. I sound awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well. So he like took me through all of the groups that I'm not a member of and made sure I joined them. Oh, and he went through all of my friends to make like friend requests. And I, I, I answered a bunch of them. I had, yeah, no, I just showed everybody that you've insulted over the last two <laughs> yeah. years. As, I mean, you know, when you didn't friend Steve, I, <laughs> yeah. I said, you know, you're not really paying attention to these things. <laughs> So no, Sky. So for everybody who doesn't know, Sky is the warmest, nicest guy. And if you ever feel differently about him, it's either incompetence or he's just thinking about twenty other things. Yeah, just that lack of communication. But never, never lack of love. Uh, yes, perhaps lack of care, which is sometimes can be construed as lack of love. But this is not a philosophy podcast. So, anyways, well, so see another reason we need Steve. This is becoming Largan Gargan. Yes, it you is. Know, the problem is we're two philosophers. Yeah. This is a mess. So this is the thing, is I realized I can rant about the, the loss of information, and I can rant about the problems, and I'll continue to do so. But the cool thing was having Ross over, and as you may remember, we crowned Ross the king of the groupies before, basically meaning that he's somebody who really, um, he's almost, to my mind, as a somewhat old-school collector, uh, sort of the figurehead of this change in the hobby. But and not the only one. You know, there's been, it's been exciting. You know, somebody, you know, not to sound like I'm 175 years old. You know, a lot of us are all the same age. It's just that many of us have been collecting in different microcosms. And there are people out there who we didn't realize were out there who knew as much as we did, different things that we did. And, of course, all the great accomplishments that went along with the group that, you know, I'm lucky enough to hang out with. And, um you know, you all sort of, sort of coming together and the thought being, well, let's all like pull this together as the hobby matures. And especially with people who've really stood out there, like people like Ross Barr, um, you know, it, it's fun to talk to him because, you know, he's, he's showed th- me things about my collection that I wasn't aware of. And we were talking about things that he wasn't aware of. 
and just the sharing of knowledge. He, he taught Yehuda what it really means to, to be a woman. Yes, um, he did. And I, 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 I got to cut you off now, Yehuda. Wow, is this what it's like for Steve? Jeez, right? You know, <laughs> Steve has a hard life. He does dude. have a hard life. Oh God, you know. Uh, Tessa helps help Steve help us, yeah. please. So so like Yehuda was saying, or like he was eventually getting around to saying, I, we, I we, was we have to find this way because I realized, you know, back in the days before I was a vintage collector, there was Rask V, you know, the collecting bulletin board back in the late nineties. Oh, talk about the Raiders thing. Oh, no, I'll get to that later. So there okay. was there's the Rask V, or however you pronounce that. And then Rebel Scum showed up, and then all the Raskvi collectors – I mean you can still read their posts on Raskvi where they were kind of against Rebel Scum and this new kind of collector. And it was all the kind of same. They don't do the research. It's all quick answers. It's all about their status. It's all this kind of thing. And then eventually Raskvi died off. Rebel Scum took its place. Other forums took its place. And then that generation of collectors grew, and I count myself in that generation. And then eventually Facebook showed up, and it was the same kind of thing. Oh, they don't do enough research, and it's all too quick, and they don't really care, and they're just going to burn through the hobby, get off my lawn kind of stuff. So what I realized was the similarity between all three, even if you go back to the old Laxby days, is everyone just says, why don't these people do more research? Why don't they do more research? So the, the solution we came up with is just tell everyone to go to the archive. That's the answer. If everybody goes to the archive and is as informed as – I mean, well, Ross is particularly well informed. But is half as informed as Ross or half as informed as me or half as informed as anybody, we'll have like a really strong community that can keep growing. And so that's our thing is let's, let's continue to, to work on the, on the archive, sharing its knowledge, but also making sure other people are exposed to it. Well, I, you know, I think it also goes both sides. You know, all these years we were thinking about – how do we make vintage popular again in the time when Star Wars was dead and our, the collection group was small and you know, there were a couple other groups out there. Now we're at a time where we're finally getting all those people into it and we have all this base of knowledge for the past 20 years as we've been researching it and looking at it and we have the archive set up by Gus and a lot of folks can just look, you know, what is a prototype? Well, it's all there. And um, What are the known prototypes? Half of them out there are right there on that archive site just at your fingertips. If you just do a Google search with the words T-H-E-S-W-C-A with any Star Wars item that's vintage, you're going to find what's on the archive and it's the easiest search in the world. So speaking of that, we are now going to address the other thing that was really needed to be done. So before we get to the kind of walking around the AT-AT and talking about what we see, uh, we're going to correct something about the coin process as it was said before. Um, so uh, basically what happened was we all sat down and we tried to get clarification from Ron. And so you were going to hear Yehuda give his explanation. Uh, it gets a little co complicated, but essentially the main point, uh, I believe, will come through. So let's have a listen to the first recording from the July 4th. I've been trying to figure out the coin production process for the past 10 years, and 
I know there are a few people who are so much smarter than me who understand it, and they have never been able to explain it to me. I listened to James last week. I listened carefully. I followed along with Coining the Galaxy. I was confused. I've listened to Mark. I've, I know these guys. I don't know what's going on. So I'm sitting here in my own dining room. I have Ron shackled to my dining room table. Sky is sitting here. And I am forcing Ron to explain to me, maybe I'm not the smartest guy, but I know what a coin is, you know. But, all right, to explain to me how to make a coin, the coin process. So he, he explained it to me, and I'm going to try to explain it back to you. And if I make errors, both Ron and Sky are holding a taser, and they're going to they're gonna tase me if I say something incorrect. Okay. There I am. I work for some coin company, and I'm going to make a coin. So first I'm going to start with a sculpt. Okay, we all start with a sculpt. So you need a sculpting material, which was variable in nature. The two that were used in making coins for Star Wars coins were either plaster or um, wax. Yes, wax. Nobody hinted at anything. No! Ow! Wax! I said wax! 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 Nobody used clay. Maybe somebody used clay. Wax! Wax! Okay. My one second, I wet myself. Um, okay, so there was wax and plaster. Now, what you have here is a beautiful, what's called a positive, what you have here is a beautiful positive sculpt. So what you'll see over here is, I guess, like a relief, like you would see in, like, classic architecture, like on a Roman arch or something, where you have this beautiful, it essentially looks like a production coin, where you see that relief coming out at you. So when he says relief, he means sticky-outy. Sticky-outy. Okay. Like a belly button. Yes. Well, like Kate Moss's belly button. Oh, do you know, we just figured out the way to finally explain positive and negative to everybody. We'll use the belly, the, the umbilicus explanation. Right. Kate Moss or not. So these are <laughs> sticky-outy. For an Audi or an Innie. Right. So these are Audi. We want everybody to understand this, including idiots like me and people who are smart, like, uh, you know, our physicists amongst us. But anyway... So, um, so essentially, you have your original sculpt, and uh, this is uh, this is an Audi, and then you take this thing and then you coat it with a releasing agent. It's a green releasing agent, and its sole purpose is that you don't screw up the sculpt that you worked so hard to make. Now, sometimes you'll have the green actually on the sculpt, and people will say, "That's Dynacast," but is it Dynacast, Yehuda? It is not, and that is what confused the living daylights out of me. Because I know there's a Dynacast part in the process, and I saw all this green on top of these hard copies. We'll explain how those come in. And I said, why is the Dynacast on top and on the bottom? And I, I was confused. That was just the releasing agent, which, to my luck, was the same exact color as Dynacast. So the releasing agent, you paint on top of these, on top of these sculpts. Then you want to really capture the fine details of the sculpt. So you take this... Um, this epoxy, and you just very gently paint it on top of this releasing agent until it really seeps into all the details. Now you feel comfortable about things. You want it to be durable and thick. So you put like some kind of like, uh, what does Michelle used to make the cakes? Those pie crust releasing things around there, right? And you pour in like some hard, durable Dynacast, which is also green. Then you let this whole thing dry. It dries because of that lovely releasing agent. You can peel it off. You're a sculpt there, and you have this stage one hard copy. Stage one. Stage one, which has all these multiple layers. It, is, it might even have some green releasing agent left on it, followed by a white epoxy, followed by this hard Dynacast, followed by even sometimes a fourth layer, which Ron is telling me of a... What, what, what's, on the, what's possibly on it? Some of them have holes filled in the back and honey. So that's what you're talking about. That's all. No, no, it's not. No. Confusing. no, no, no. I want details, brother. No, so some of them will even have some putty on the back filled in where there were holes. 
Okay. Okay. Stage one hard copy. Please okay. edit out all the stupid stuff, which is the entire thing I've said. Okay, so at this point, we have a stage one hard copy. Yes. Which is an innie. It's an innie. It's an innie, and it's reversed. It's an, it's the image is reversed. Perfectly flat. We are Once again, we started with a sculpt. <laughs> we made this multiple-layer stage one hard copy, which is essentially an innie. It has, uh, when you look at a coin which would be an Audi, this is a any version of it, which is an essentially a concave version. Then you take this version and you say, you know what, it's perfectly flat, and when I make a coin, it has to be slightly, very slightly, minusculely, like rounded, sort of like a yeah. dome. Like the die needs to be slightly the, the die itself needs to be slightly domed and, the, and rounded. And the reason it needs to be this way is the way it extrudes... Uh, out the material, or and that's conjecture. We don't know why it has to be that way. That's what they wanted to get to. That's what they wanted to get to, and we're, we're conjecturing as to why. Okay. So, all right. And so now what's nice about this new rubber, which is made out of silicone. I didn't I jumped ahead. <laughs> Ow! Okay. So, all right. So we take this, this, this stage one hard copy, and we make something called a rubber, which is essentially made out of silicone. And we take our pie-crusting little thing and wrap it around again, put our sculpt away for safekeeping, Take the stage one hard copy and then pour on top of it silicone rubber till it dries nice and hard and actually nice and soft and rubbery. Then we have no problems with releasing agents. This stuff peels off really nicely from the hard copy. We put our hard copy away for safekeeping. And now we have this rubber Audi, which looks just like the coin, but it's rubbery and soft. Now we take this thing and we say it's perfect and we made it out of rubber for a reason. So we can actually make it slightly... Concave, which yeah. would be slightly no, convex. Slightly convex. Nobody hurt me. No. So, uh, thank you. It's a freebie. Slightly convex, and so now we can take this rubber thing and put it over. Let's say, like, imagine you're put, slapping it over a bowl. Now you take that thing, and now you're able to pour hard resin again in, which would again be dynacast. Well, they use the epoxy, and then the same same. Oh, they use the same process again, not to use detail, not to lose details. So they would now take this any rubber and again, once again, make a multi-layer hard copy. And the hard copy would be done with gently a layer of releasing agent again, or not necessarily because it's working off of silicone, right? So it wasn't necessary. That's only for sculpt. So they would take the, the uh, rubber and then they would paint on top of it layers of epoxy to get the fine detail. And then once again, surround it with a pie crusting thing and then fill it with hard copy, uh, fill it with the stuff that most, most of us know is what they make hard copies out of Dynacast peel it out, and now you would have this lovely hard copy, stage two hard copy, which would now be an image which which was the tooling master, and this thing could, its final image was a any and it's any detail, any with, detail a with a slightly concave convex, yes, that's what I said <laughs> slightly convex, as I understand it so clearly, bloody hell alright, I understand it and then uh, they would take this over to a pantograph machine. They were made one to six level again to get that lovely fine detail that we see on the coins. A pantograph can take this hard, lovely stage two hard copy and convert it into something that's the appropriate scale. And then those can be used to make the hobs and the dies, which can ultimately be used to make the coins. I'll never be able to say that even close to is right again. It is again. I still don't understand what the hell so, I'm so the, And so the error that we made on the last show was in saying that the tooling master is made after the soft copy, which is not accurate 
the tooling master was the hard copy, and that's what would be put into the pantograph machine that we explained before. But I ask so many terrible questions that I don't even know if it came across as an error last month. I got to. We sit, might have even said I it right last month. I got to sit down with James also, and James knows so much about this. I also got to sit down with James. Ron was very helpful. James is awesome, and I want to sit down with Mark again because I think the best thing would be to have these smart people sitting around me, and, and maybe at some point I'll finally be able to understand what the hell is flying. Hey, well, we got Bobo in the crate over there. I think he might understand it better than we do. So, okay, good. Well, that's the coin process with Yehuda, sort of. All right, so Yehuda and I just listened to that again. How do you feel listening to it again, Yehuda? I think I understand it, but I'm never going to say it out loud again. I'm just going to pretend inside my head I know what I'm looking at. I, I think I get it too, so that, that's good. So anyways, that's the, the main thing, sort of the technical thing we wanted to correct. There's the spiritual thing we wanted to correct, uh, which was how, you know, the, the Facebook grumpiness. Um, and then there's the sort of technical thing about that. Now next, let's see what's next in our list of MP3s that I recorded on my new uh, iPhone yesterday. Ah, yes. Here's a random note I made looking at the back of a 12-inch Kenner Boba Fett. So I'm, I'm in the basement and uh, I'm looking at this uh, beautiful reconstructed 12-inch Boba Fett vintage figure. And I noticed on the back, it says something that I don't think it says on many other, if any other, Star Wars toys. It says, CPG Products Group Corp, 1979, by its division, Kenner Products. So, like, are there other toys like that, where it actually talks about it being Consumer Products Group and Kenner on the same toy? I thought that was interesting. I'm not sure Ron thought it was interesting. But they're looking at old radios. Alright, well, that was that point, which uh, Yehuda, you in the bathroom to hear it, so we'll just let it go. Uh, <laughs> next up, so basically the, the day was progressing quite nicely. Kids were swimming in the pool, though it was a little bit, uh, a little bit cloudy. Uh, and then the next thing was just this uh, walking around in the ATAT ick with Ron and kind of coming up with some ideas of things that we could do. So let's see what we wound up talking about uh, up there. Okay, now I am in Yehuda's collection, and uh, I, last night as I was going to bed here in his attic, I was listening to the Star Wars Vintage Rebellion. And uh, I want to rip off an idea that I kind of got from listening to the show, which is pointing out all of the different sounds that are advertised on vintage boxes. So just looking here, uh, do you happen to know, guys, the sound that they say the X-Wing fighter makes? <laughs> <laughs> do we do not know bodily humor on this podcast. It makes a space sound. No, that's what it says. It, it says, contents, one X-Wing fighter spaceship with flashing, quote, laser light and space sound. Sort of oxymoron. <laughs> that's true, because... There's no sound in space. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This is what we're finding out. Okay, we're trying to edit the podcast now, and I tried to find, like, a trailer from Alien where they say, in space, no one can hear you scream, but they were all, like, basically silent. So, just, uh, just imagine that that exists. But they should be silent. Yes. Because, once again, there's no sound in there space. There is so no sound in space. Very meta. Okay, back to yesterday. 
Actually, no, it's a great marketing thing. It's like Barnum and Bailey. Like, yeah. this way is the exit. Come see the... Right, this, way to, no ego, this way to egress. This way to egress, yes. Right. And then the NPC snapped together Darth Vader action model, which I don't think we ever talked about on the show. When, when did this come out, Ron? Uh, I believe uh, that I is believe a 1979 product. product. We haven't talked about these a lot or at all. They're really beautiful. They've got the... 78. It's actually got a totally different Hildebrandt-style uh, Luke and Leia than what we've talked about two months ago. Leia actually has the gun, which that might make the only vintage packaging where Leia has a gun. If you look at the NPC models, um, the early Star Wars ones, they all have that Hildebrandt logo, similar to the Kenner stuff, but it's in each one of the different boxes... It's hand-painted in a different way, which is interesting. So it's like they didn't just use the same image over and over again on different boxes. It's actually rendered differently, which is weird. And actually, they look more like brother and sister than they do anywhere else. Like, Leia's kind of chilling. She's got a cape that sort of looks like uh, like, like angel wings. She's oriented differently. Yeah she's, yeah, she's oriented differently. Anyways, getting back to the sound. There's too much to see in Yehuda's collection. Uh, the sound of Darth Vader in this snap-together action model is rasping breathing sound, which that actually sounds more it's scary. described as a sinister special effects. <laughs> yes, it says featuring sinister special effects, rasping breathing sound, illuminated eyes. It's as though they're really trying to make him more scary. Uh, Yehuda, do you have anything else in here yeah, that is supposed to make sound? Picture by Jacob. Oh, shut oh. up. I don't care about your kids. All right. Uh... Okay, we'll have to look around some more here. This is a flashing laser light. Oh. Oh, here we go. So uh, we're actually at the TIE Fighter, which is, I think, what they discussed on the Vintage Rebellion. And once again, it's a space sound on Darth Vader's TIE Fighter, a Palatoy. X-Wing Fighter from Palatoy also has... has Oh, doesn't have... Right, doesn't have... There was no space sounds in, in England. That's right. They were they were too cheap for that. They were too cheap. And look at the. Uh, I would go and look at. Well, we can go in the other the room. Imperial here. troop transport, because that has the whole recording device in it. Right. The Imperial troop transport just has Star Wars sounds. <laughs> That's all it calls, which makes sense. Okay, this maybe wasn't as good of an idea for a segment as I thought. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, we learned about uh, you know models. And uh, the the Empire Strikes Back Millennium Falcon has a sound. What kind of sound is that, Yehuda? It's a battle alert sound. That's excellent. And Ron, does it make any noise whenever we say Yehuda's name? Yehuda. What noise does it make whenever we say Yehuda's name? Are we talking about the drop? Yeah. Yehuda. Yeah. It's new. It's only one month old, and it's starting to catch up. So that's the first time I've heard the drop. Similar to Babalu. Yeah, very. Actually, it sounds like Ricola. Like I'm advertising like cough drop. No, it's actually a rip off of the Yahoo thing. Oh, it goes yeah, like this. Yeah, oh. Yeah. Oh, and, I can see it. But okay. I, I sing it totally off key, which no, is in honor of your. Um, All right. So we were sitting, the sound quality, I don't know if it's any good, but we were sitting on the ground before Yehuda. And what happened when we got up? We realized we're old. Oh, here's a piece of advice. If you're over 35, don't ever sit down or stand up. Okay. Um, <laughs> everything hurts. Everything hurts. 
So then at this point, this was still before Ross had showed up. He was with his in-laws or something or other. Um, so we decided to take a nice long walk around the neighborhood, Jamaica, Queens. Uh, we walked by uh, the 46th president's house. I mean, 45th president's house, Donald Trump. His childhood home, which hopefully will be his library once he's elected. Yes, we can. We can Sky and I are actually part of his uh, campaign team. Yes, <laughs> yes. He, he's he's who we are officially supporting. Podcast. We're we're very political now. Yeah, and I'm actually growing a comb over just yes. to uh, fit in. Yes, gay marriages for some, Confederate flags for the rest. That's our <laughs> policy. Um, <laughs> and love for all, always. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways. Sure. So uh, let's. Uh, <laughs> Let's get back to a discussion that we had. Now, this is funny because we I recorded it and it was perfect, but then I hit a wrong button and it went wrong. And we had this whole discussion and we were talking about Cincinnati and all this other stuff. And so we've talked about hard copies before, about how they're very early stage in the pre-production process in sculpting and how they were crucial for creating the the molds and the toys and everything. Uh, but we never really actually talked about why they're so rare. So actually, wait, you heard it. This will be fun. Can you describe what a hard copy is in one paragraph? In a very long paragraph. No, I can definitely do it. Because you did it a couple episodes ago, but people okay. like to be reminded of this. And this is our reminding episode. <clears throat> I'm going to remind stuff. Okay. So when you start with a 3D piece and you have a concept in your head, you have to start with a sculpt. And this is where an artist actually sits down like Michelangelo. If you're Bill Lemon, you're working out of a hard material like acetate, a non-forgiving one, and you have to just sculpt away till you have this beautiful little statue, which turns out to be an action figure, or you're sculpting in wax, similar process, although you can melt and reattach pieces if you have errors. And then you take this lovely thing that you've worked so hard on, and you have to make it into a durable, hard substance that can be either machined or pantographed, depending on what type of hard copy it is, to actually make machines that can produce plastic toys. So the way they do this is they take the, the original sculpt and then they first make a silicone mold out of the original sculpt. So it's essentially a soft silicone mold. And when you take out the sculpt, the sculpt is protected. And now you can pour in a hard epoxy, either made out of multiple different brand names, such as Dynacast, Carbolon, and several others that were used during the vintage period, to pour into these silicone molds and to help produce the hard copy pieces. Silicone molds themselves um, are degradable and also can't be used for a long period of time. So you're lucky if you get 20 or 30 hard copies out of it max, but often they didn't need more than three, four, or five. And, um, and, that, you, and that's good, Yehuda. Okay, I'll stop talking. I like that. <laughs> so basically, sculpts, <laughs> sculpts is soft, hard copies is hard. Yes. That's a very easy way of describing it and explaining it, where we are. I know you were going to go into the tooling master and the paint no, master. It's like the Indian Audi. It's, like, it's very much like the Indian Audi. It's just like we go back to the, the, the coin produce, the, the coin production. Yes. So they needed something that would eventually be able to be used to make another mold. So they needed a hard copy to do that. Yes, Yehuda? Yes. Absolutely. So let's listen to Ron describe why they are so dang rare. why 
we're not likely to see a large volume of things like unpainted hard copies and sculpts or parts of those items on the market um, these days is because most of that stuff uh, was all kept in a central location in Cincinnati, basically the model shop and the sculpting department. And at some point it got split up among several different employees there when they went to throw it away. Uh, and so when that stuff was in volume on the market, it was because those people were selling it. Um, and they were really the only source. There haven't been many sources of say, unpainted hard copies other than those, that group of sources who got that stuff from Kenner. So I mean, the way you can picture it is as all that stuff being in one room at one point and then it getting dispersed um, among a small group of people. And uh, you know, it was unlikely that any other department within Kenner had a bunch of unpainted hard copy parts laying around. That just, that was the room that was in. Um, it got split up among people and that's why we would find sometimes legs from one figure with one source and then the torso and the rest of it with another source because it had been broken up and we were kind of putting it back together. Um, but for a while there, because of that, you could buy just hard copy parts. Most of the stuff you see in collections now came from those sources. Um, and since then, there haven't been many, I'm sure there's been other alternative sources here and there, but there haven't been many. Um, and now painted hard copies are a different story, which I don't think people understand. Um, those did not come, from the most part, from that group of folks. Uh, because once they put assembled the hard copies and painted them, those things went out for use. You know, They were used for photography or toy fair or something. So those weren't sitting in that room when that stuff was split up. Um, so most of the big sources of that kind of thing came from slightly different people. Um, even sometimes outside of Kenner, um, you know, with some source that may have had it at, at toy fair or something like that. Um, so it's, it's, it's sort of different you're talking about different animals when you're talking about the unpainted, unfinished stuff and the painted, finished stuff. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, that, that answers my question. I think that was actually the best he said it, don't you think, Yehuda? I think fourth is a charm. Yeah, fourth time's the charm. So, anyways, we'll get back to eating chalent and uh, chilling. talking about how much he likes that song, we'll talk over the cool like uh, Pac-Man part. So I mentioned the last thing that we ate some chalent. Uh, if, if you are not uh, of the Jewish persuasion, you might not know what chalent is. I just learned a couple months ago. It's this like, I'm going to describe this the way that Yehuda describes hard copies. So it's like this stew that you make Friday night uh, so that, uh, and you like keep it in a hot crock pot so that during the Sabbath on Saturday you don't have to cook it and it came from like all these different villages all over the world and like every challenge is different depending on where you're from because it was more or less whatever was kind of hanging around in the village you just sort of throw it in the pot and eat it is that is that correct yeah but you know I make stuff up Scott so. right so that could have been all made up but the point is uh it's quite good and Yehuda's family makes a really good one uh, the only problem is it it um it plays tricks on your uh, GI track. 
So yeah, it's my lot and it's my people's lot in life to suffer. As yes, <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, it's uh, <laughs> but it's very good, and it's one of the the funny things is that Ross was looking forward to eating it, um, but I'd actually eaten it all before he got here, so I, I felt bad of dep- depriving him of his birthright. Listen, <laughs> you, you snooze, you lose. It doesn't yeah. matter if it's hard copies or chalets. Right now, I've got two chalets, <laughs> and you've got none. Um, so, uh, fittingly, well, all right, so. I wouldn't say that things really devolved during the party, um, <laughs> but uh, there, there, there was a point where we definitely started drinking a little bit more. Um, and I actually, I don't remember that part at all, oddly. Yeah. So um, you'll hear my note to self where I discover that uh, that drinking cognac and eating uh, jalapeno popper flavored cheese puffs is good, and that's going to lead into a unsponsored advertisement. And uh, then I will actually lead you into a uh, – uh, boy, chives. Oh, that's right. And, and then the kids brought me some chives. So I actually ate chives on the chi- on the chive cast. Uh, and then I sort of took it easy and sobered up a bit. And, and uh, so this is the – this is the, the fun, drunky part of the July 4th party, right, Yehuda? Yeah, but it's July 5th, and the drunky part may start again soon. It may. <laughs> oh, I love Baby Day. A note to self. To Cognac and jalapeno popper fr- flavored cheese curls. Good combination. This episode has been brought to you by HERS, jalapeno poppers flavored cheese curls. Oh, when you pop a halop, oh, you gotta pop a halop for the jalapeno poppies that you love. And when you pop a jalop, that's when you know it can stop, when it's jalapeno poppies in your mouth. And also something about Jabba the Hutt. Well, this is a Kive cast first. I am going to eat some chive from Yehuda's Garden. Mmm! It's chivey. Okay, so Yehuda insists I have a future in advertising. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, I just know that... If you pop it, you lock. <laughs> Once, <laughs> Once you pop, you can stop. When it's jalapeno poppers in your mouth. <laughs> it's a pretty good song. It's I, I swear, bro. It's, uh, you could even probably sing it in French. You could like translate <laughs> it for the French. I don't think the French would approve of me eating such American swill while drinking excellent cognac. Um, that was the problem was we were we were drinking, you know, Covercier and it was it was good. We had, we had the cristal out and the papa jalops. <laughs> yeah. And, you know. We are in South Jamaica, yeah. you know, home of rap. So anyways, we, 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 we took it easy a little bit. And uh, after that, we actually had a realization about the Young Jedi Mailer kit. Ah. Would you like to hear that, Yehuda? I would. All right, so uh, we're just sitting out here sampling two different kinds of cognac, uh, Covorcier and Louis Royer. We're about to try the second one. And uh, we just started asking the question, what's worth more, a young Jedi Knight mailer with a generic address, like without an address or one that has an address? I don't know anything about the young Jedi mailer. So what were you talking about, Yehuda? Ah, the Young Jedi Mailer. The Young Jedi Mailer is one of Kenner's last-ditch efforts to try to keep kids interested in the dying franchise of Star Wars. And 
they were attempting different things. So the thought was to try to see maybe they could get kids to get figures through the mail, and that might be a new way to be able to sell them figures with bagged figures. So they would send out these samples um, to kids in certain test areas with a bagged figure and with, an, uh, with a letter and a poster and availability to get another bagged figure. The ones that tend to still exist today are ones that were either mailed to kids and somehow survived, but the more common ones that seem to be around are actually pre-production pieces, which have John A. Sample as uh, the address and have all the materials within them. And it's an interesting case where you actually have a mailer where the uh, pre-production piece is actually more common than what you find in the production pieces. Man, way to go. You sound like Mr. Radio, dude. Now, I, I, think, I think that the Louis Royer is, is better, but it's because it's less watered down, and you poured a ridiculous cup of cognac. If I were to drink all this, I would not be able to put my kids to sleep tonight. They would have to... Well, you're under the delusion that your kids are going to go to sleep tonight. That's true. All right. Thanks, Yuda. And when you pop a jalop, when you pop a jalop, when you've got jalapeno poppers in your mouth. That's a really good song. It is true. I hope hers is a good company. I hope hers listens to the archive because I, 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 don't, I don't think we need a, you don't need a percentage. If they just did this. Well, I will say, you know, I was thinking about that, that we, we have never actually gotten a penny of advertising from anyone. Hairs may want to. They may want, they may want to get in on this. I mean, we're not going to talk wanna, about like snack cakes or mail or any garbage like that. But, you know, jalapeno yeah. poppers, I'm just saying. But then you're going to have to dress up like a giant cheese girl to <laughs> like, get the money or something. And then I'd like try and eat myself. Okay. But you tried that anyway. This is a family show, so let's, uh. So the next thing we're going to talk about here is actually uh, this is after uh, after Ross showed up and we went on another walk. Now Bobo got a lot of walks today. I mean yesterday, no walks at all today. Life of a dog, and uh, we started talking about Yehuda's uh, recent purchase from the Dewey Shoemate auction. So in '63, not '63 point five, we discussed how he should have won a few things because he loves those kinds of. Uh, employee items, and he got some kind of goblet. Where does the goblet come from? Why did this goblet exist? The goblet is a piece that Kenner was very employee friendly, and they were very interested in morale. It was before the Hasbro times, before the dark times, you know, a place where people really felt a, a lot of loyalty to the place. And it was through things like this. When you worked there for a period of time, you would get employee awards, and, and they were very big on that. And so there were awards for five years of being employed and 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. So Dewey was a long-time employee. He worked there for 18 years. And one of his... One second. We got to pause it because this kid's screaming. Okay, we're going to return now. I didn't mean to sound so negative about his kids screaming. They are actually more important than Star Wars toys. So <laughs> uh, Dewey Shoemate got this award himself? Yes, yeah, so Dewey worked there for about 18 years. And this was his 15-year award. I guess the next award would have been at the 20-year mark if he had stayed there longer. And um, the, the award was a pewter goblet with a large K on it. And um, a lot of the stuff that was given out as employee awards were either engraved with Ks. Some of the finer products, some of the jewelry pieces have gold Ks. There are pieces that even have jewels in them. And they're a very interesting sub-collection within the vintage collection. Very rare pieces. And Something that to me has always been very exciting, behind-the-scenes stuff. 
And because your name is K, you know, Kleinman, you can pretend it stands for Kenner. And it turns out that you what used you it. What do you, I don't pretend. No, you it don't pretend. It stands for Kleinman. It stands for Kleinman. Yeah. And then so you now use this goblet in a very important ritual at the beginning and the end of Shomer Shabbos. You call it Shomer Shabbos, right? You're doing very good, Scott. I have to tell you. I, Everything it's, I know about Judaism, I, I learned from Big Lebowski. Well, you so, know, me too, obviously. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, you bless the Sabbath over a glass of wine, and it's usually done in a goblet. And I, and I have a really nice one that belonged to my grandfather that he made by hand with his name on it. When I'm named after him, so it's, it says Yehuda. Uh, but I, when that Kenner goblet came up, that one sort of uh, got passed on to my son. And uh, the Kenner goblet's awesome, so I saw that and I said I had to have that piece, just because I knew I would use it, and I'm going to use it, you know, hopefully every week. And um, you know, when people come over, you just tell them it's, you know, it's monogrammed, K for Kleinman. Yeah, straightforward. It's beautiful, and don't tell them how much you you paid for it. Although we do do an auction watch, so I could tell them how much you paid. Oh, for everybody it. knows, but it, yeah. you know, this stuff is rare as heck. And, yes. you know, just don't tell my wife. Yeah, don't. We we won't tell anybody how much. No, because it's only about fifteen dollars. He paid eleven hundred for it. Anyways, I won't tell anybody. Either. Don't worry no, about I, that. I, I trust you with my life. <laughs> no, you know that, Sky. I know you would never say a word. So this was a conversation that we had around <laughs> the Kenner Kiddish Cup. So I, I'm now in Yehuda's uh, kitchen. We, we just uh, finished Sa- Sh- Shabbos. And what did we finish up Sabbath with? We used our Kenner employee goblet to end the Sabbath. You got the Kenner employee goblet from the Dewey Shoemate auction that just ended. And you were very excited to win it. And what's one of the things that you won? I also won, uh, the, won the Micro Breakfast Award, which is a great piece to have. Um, because it not only is the Kenner... I'm not asking about that one. I'm asking about the other one. Oh, yes. Okay. The invitation? All right. Yes. The third piece. All right. So there was the invitation to the going away party, which was really... Which, which I just found out Ron was at. And now that's what I actually want. Yehuda, I was just using you to get to Ron. So it turns out... Everybody uses me to get to Ron. Damn it, When Kenner closed down its doors in Cincinnati, they threw a going away party. And it turns out <laughs> Ron Salvatore was there. Ron, tell us all about it. Um, there was a deed, a big Kenner employee party at the Weston Hotel in Cincinnati in 2000. I don't remember the month, but, uh, it was in a private room with the Weston and they had a video playing highlights from the history of Kenner. And I think I was there, Todd Chamberlain, Chris Jagulius, Chris Fawcett, Gus Lopez may have been there. And, um, we were out in the lobby trying to get people to sell us hats and mugs that they were giving away. Um, did, did they buy Did they sell any? We got some. I don't remember if we got them there or somewhere else, but we did end up with some. And I know I walked in maybe with Chris Jagulius, and we just started mingling with people and watching the video, and it was, you know, the end of Kenner. That was the official end of Kenner. So I don't know if I have... An invitation, but I'm glad that you have one. Well, thank you. You know, you're not getting mine. <laughs> yeah, because I'm glad yeah. you were there, but you know, I'll keep the invite, bro. Because you were, you were not invited. That's that's why you crashed the party. That's so why you don't have an invite. invite. Yeah. No, we All right. Well, that, that's a, that's a cool story. Thank you, Ron. <laughs> and that's a very cool kiddish cup. I don't fully understand kiddish. Actually, it's a multi-purpose cup at this point. You know, I've just been walking around with it, drinking anything out of it all day. I've eaten it like, earlier. I didn't <laughs> yes. Oh, no. 
Is that what that flavor was? You know, I, I couldn't make it out. It was like it was a hint of asparagus. I think. Yeah, I it was, figure yeah. out where else to go. No, it? no. I, I, I thank you for that. Could you I'm leave sorry. my? Could I you didn't le- know uh, you'd be drinking. Out no, of no, no, no. It's no trouble. Could you leave my house now? <laughs> so, anyways, as you can tell, it's July Fourth. Uh, Sabbath just ended. And, oh, and Ross Barr is here. We were just remembering that I, I called him the king of the groupies, and he says that's not insulting. I uh, love it, actually. You, you I love enjoy it. Your pet names for me—they're wonderful. Thank you. Yes, excellent. So I was going to interview him about his recent find, but it turns out this morning he was interviewed by the, the Vintage Rebellion dudes. So uh, I have to ask him something else. What else should I ask him, Yehuda? <laughs> about Star Wars. I do not. Uh, let's ask him about the find anyway, because I don't care that he spoke to somebody else about it. It's super awesome, man. Why would you... You know, well, tell us about the this find. This is very... Okay, I'll tell you what. What is your favorite thing that you got in the find? Okay. I'd say the crown jewel, the easy one, is the long, fat header. So when you, when you say it's a long, fat header... The find was and what all that stuff was. Okay, Ron wants us to explain what the find was. My daughter's running in. She's trying to get the, the Wi-Fi password for Yehuda's house. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, Mrs. Kleiman's running around. Michelle, please. Oh, God. Uh, Mrs. Michelle's running around trying to figure, <laughs> figure out what's going Mrs. on. Mrs. was my mother-in-law. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So, so, Ron, what question should I, be, should I be asking the king of the groupies? What was in the find and what... Wait, let me make sure this is recording. I don't want this to happen again. Okay, what was in the find and what did it consist of? Ross, king of the groupies, bar? <laughs> it's Mr. King of the groupies, but that's okay. <laughs> that's, uh, there was a lot of displays. There were... I don't know. I'm, I've had a few drinks, so I won't give you the whole inventory. But there was a lot of retailing paperwork, which was very interesting. There was the long, fat header, which is quite a rare piece I was fortunate to find. It was a 321 Bells. One twelve bell display. These are displays. All right, you know, I want to just make it easy for our, our listeners. So what is a long, fat header? Either you or Ron can answer depending on... Okay, Ross, if your name begins with R and O, I want you to answer this question. I defer to Ron. <laughs> um, so Ross found an awesome find of uh, original Kenner store displays, uh, action figure focused mostly, right? Yes. And the uh, long, fat header is... A long, uh, three foot long or so header that would have been displayed above, you know, action figure retail displays back in 1979. Um, And it shows the uh, 20 figures plus, 20 figures available at that time, plus has a uh, spotlight for the Boba Fett offer, which was in Malloway at the time. Now, is Boba Fett at this point shooting off his rocket? Is he not shooting off his rocket? Is it just a picture of the mock-up? What, what, what is Boba Fett doing in this picture? It is just a picture of the figure, blaster in hand, pointing, with the yellow thing around him, the yellow starry starburst. circle. Starburst. Starburst, okay. And it's a good piece because, I mean, there's not many that have turned up. Some turned up when the... Kenner closed the morgue. Some of those leaked onto the market, um, some unused examples. And prior to that, there was a few examples that were known. So Ross finding one uh, just out there is, is a great a great find and a rare piece. So do you think that's like there's, what, more than five known, more than ten? Oh, somewhere between five and ten, the, probably. The archive, the archive says less than ten, but it's relatively dated. I think that was a little while back that that entry went up. Curious to whether others have been found. I don't know. But ten is a good estimate. Let's put it that. Way. Okay, so let's say ten. All right, good. You had any other questions to ask while we're in your kitchen? We hear fireworks going off. My daughter went away in despair because I couldn't give her the Wi-Fi code. 
I have no idea where my children are, so that's uh, that's really my question: is where are my kids? <laughs> All right. So I hope you enjoy this little view into uh, what is this like a New York Electric Club meeting? What is this even? This is just a bunch of friends hanging out. I don't care where they're from. There it is. And once again, no pantographing, a soft copy. <laughs> uh, oh man, could you believe how awesome it is with the fireworks in the back, Yehuda? It's pretty cool. I, this is the way to spend July Fourth. It know? is. It is. I think we got to do more episodes like this. It's, and I want Steve to do episodes like this, and then like without me, you know. Except then he'd have to like do all the garage banding and all that stuff. But come on, Steve, you can do it. What else are you doing, right? Was he getting married? Oh yeah. <laughs> At some point, you would have wanted to start imitating Steve. My uncle. I wanted to actually try to be Steve this episode. I was going to learn all his mannerisms, but. Um, you know, he's such a complex guy. I just realized it was a task I couldn't. He really is. He's like one of those great actors who, you know, it's not like Christopher Walken where you can easily imitate him. Like you can't imitate Anthony Hopkins. Or you can't imitate Paul Newman. Paul Newman. You know, because he just acts. But like, so that, that's, you know, that's Steve tedious. is basically Paul Newman. Um, uh, you know, but he's alive. So that's good. Um, <laughs> that's very good. Uh, we love Steve. Yes, yes, we do. Um, so the next conversation is a quick one about uh, these three torn up Princess Leia's from Canada and whether or not they are from Toy Fair or just from a Canadian Lilu Dallas multipack. Let's see. Okay, so so we're now discussing Yehuda's three Canadian Princess Leia's that have severe rip marks on them. And the question is whether or not they were a part of a Canadian multi-pack, a Canadian uh, Lilu Dallas multi-pack, or whether or not they were, like, just some kind of toy fair display, which is what he thinks. And I bought one once, and then I, like, sold it for cost to Bruce White because he was a Leia guy, but I felt bad because I'm like, well, maybe this isn't even toy fair. So, Yehuda, why do you think it's a toy fair thing? I'm not sure, I, you know, but I'll tell you my thoughts on it. And you can't say individually on each Princess Leia unless you can actually see. You know, can I discuss a little bit about what they are? Sure. So, like, people understand what we're talking about. So, when, when they had a toy fair display in Canada, the Kenner booth for Kenner Canada used as their border Star Wars Empire, uh, Empire Strikes Back Princess Leia's, and they were the original 12-back Princess Leia's on an Empire Kenner Canada card, and they must have had boxes and boxes of them and they opened them up and they hot glued them together and made a border around their entire booth. Um, this was probably a few hundred of them and when the display was finished they would take these apart and people were taking them home, bringing them home for their kids and a lot of them just went into storage. Now these weren't the only time that Kenner Canada hot glued pieces together and in fact in retail Kenner Canada also hot glued certain figures together in multi-packs where there were three or four figures together including this Princess Leia. So the question is, why do you think some more of these Princess Leia's are likely from the Toy Fair source, and why are they more likely from, like, a pack together? There are just many more Princess Leia's. You okay, so, so Ross, is th he thinks they're multi-pack. Are you swayed by uh, Yehuda's reasoning, Ross? They're, I don't know. Uh, they're unpunched, right? So they probably weren't sold. So maybe they were sold. I don't know. Maybe they were sold in stores or not. I have a Han, Han original, which is my focus on a 41 back English, English, what am I saying? English, Canadian. U.S. No, U.S. Oh, U.S. U.S. one that I posted on Rebel Scum a few months back. Folks seem to believe that it was, it actually has a sticker on it as well. 
has a price sticker, Simpsons, which is a Canadian store only in Canada. It was punched, but it had the same kind of the same gluey rip, rip pattern. It's like a glue rip pattern. pattern. So the theory on that one, it was not a Toy Fair one. It was 100%. pulled from a Canadian multi-pack. I actually completely agree with that. And so you don't know for sure. You know, I, I, my stance is not these are definitely. It's that a lot more of the ones that you see on the market happen to be the Leia. And so because of the numbers of them out there, it's likely that a fair percentage of them are from Toy Fair, but it's not easy to be able the only way you can tell for sure. The only way you can tell for sure if a Princess Leia is from that Toy Fair display is if the torn graphics happen to be visible on the back from the prior card that shows also a Princess Leia. And so then you can tell that the card that was glued behind it was Princess Leia. And if you know that, then you know for sure it wasn't from a multi-pack. And is that on your card, Max? I cannot. I'm, I never looked close enough. I don't think okay, so. Okay, we're going to look right them now. Them yeah, we're going to pull them out. Absolutely. All right. So, so we're, we're looking at these, and it, like, like, it seems know, as though we cannot make a definitive determination based on the rip pattern on the back. But I'm with Yehuda. If they were all layers in the Canadian Toy Fair display, I think it's safe to say that these are Toy Fair layers and not multi-pack because, I don't know. It's what? cooler. It's cooler. <laughs> that was a great. Why well, definitively? Because it's cooler. Well, you know, it's always better to believe a more fun story. Yeah. Uh, my favorite. But at least we're honest about it. Yep. You know? My favorite part about Ross's flub was that on July Fourth, he mixed up something that was British with something that was American. So I thought that was maybe like some kind of Freudian slip. What's nice about hanging out with the professor all day is <laughs> you're always in college. Yeah, do you know what's bad about hanging out with the professor all day? You're always in college. That's right. Uh, all There's right. Nothing, nothing bad about hanging out with you, bro. All right, so uh, next we're going to be – I just see a couple things about Palatoy Ogres. So uh, I think this is going to ultimately spring from a conversation about why Palatoy toys – were cheaper than their American counterparts because they they picked cheaper models who were. Much I know, uglier. dude. I I know. We're gonna get to it. Yuda. Okay. We'll talk about it all. And you know, and your precious, Yehuda's precious blog post on the archive, the SWCA.com, uh, is where you can read all about. Them. Uh, I, well, actually, now I'm recording. So we're looking at the Palatoy Cantina, and Yehuda just took it out and is showing it to Ross here on the bed that I'm going to be sleeping on later tonight. So try not to uh, fart. Okay, so Yehuda, what's the difference between a, can a Palatoy Cantina and a Kenner Cantina? So Palatoy is the distributor and maker, of course, of Star Wars toys in England, Great Britain, and uh, the differences are pretty significant. Again, it was a lot of problems with cost in England, making these different types of sets and actually extruding plastics. So they had to go with cheaper choices to be able to make the sets viable financially. So the bases themselves are made out of a vacuum-form plastic, which is a very thin plastic compared to the bases from the American ones. And they're actually stabilized with a piece of cardboard on the bottom. And because of that, they lose a lot of the ability to have little pegs on them to stand up figures like the American sets do. So they come with their own individual uh, quirky features, like they come with their own action figure stands, and they come with something called an action figure action stand, which... <laughs> That's uh, a lot of action. It's, it's tons of action, man. So <laughs> the English kids had it easy. You know, so you just put two figures on this thing with sticks, and you wiggle them back and forth to the sides, and you can actually make your figures sort of move. And it's all supposed to be a way to copy the American effects of the playset in a cheaper but still viable fashion, uh, a fashion for the... Uh, the British kids. 
And, um, you know, it, it's sort of fun to look at. We have a sealed bag over here. They made another version of the cantina as well, which included figures, which was really cool. So it included the four action figures. That version came with, instead of two regular stands, four stands to accommodate the figures. For some reason, mine isn't the, uh, the, the one that comes with the figures, but my sealed bag does have four stands in it. And I, I can't explain why mine has the extra stands, because it doesn't have the uh, sticker on the front that would be there to show that it would have come with figures. But So if I could make some kind of weird Sky-esque thing, this is cool because... You know, the 70s were the time of the oil crisis, and it was felt more keenly in Europe than it was in America, and it still is. That's why gas is so much more expensive in Europe than it is in America. So it's like this toy almost represents the gas crisis because they couldn't make a good, strong piece of ABS plastic. Steve? Is Steve here somewhere? Can Steve stop this? <laughs> oh, wait, wait. Wait, here's, here's Ron. I think Palatoy actually had to pay extra fees, too, to get the... The license for Star Wars, so they had to pay Kenner an That's extra correct. fee. Yeah. So, so they had all these other costs involved that the Kenner, in order to be the, the supplier of toys in, in whatever country a distributor and toy maker was, they had to pay a fee to Kenner because Kenner was the one who got the license from Lucas. So that also was a good reason why they had to cut costs. I talked to a Palatoy employee years and years ago in email and he said that they were always trying to find ways to take the Kenner toys and make them cheaper because they had extra costs so all the stuff you see like the X-Wing doesn't have the electronics the, the, uh, the uh, land speeder doesn't have the bonnet move, uh, open up and the, the vacuum formed playset I think is all of them trying to cut corners a little bit to make it cheaper for them. So then you're saying that my ridiculous claim that has something to do with the oil crisis is off base and it's actually because the American bestiches were charging too much for the licensing fees? No, no, it's both. I think it's full. It's full. Oh, okay, good. It's both. <laughs> and it, it, it is true, you know, the price of plastics was more expensive there. And it, and it is a petroleum-based thing, so that's probably accurate, as crazy as it sounds. But it's definitely the fact that they had to pay their fee. And they still had to make it financially viable. But it was really ingenious the way they went about finding a way to always capture those great Kenner features at a cheaper cost. You know, I actually blogged about a couple of these on the archive. I blogged about their ultimate testament to that, which is the cardboard Palatoy Death Star. There's no way that they could have afforded that much plastic to make the American version in England. That was a ton of plastic. And so they came up with a toy that's arguably better, much cheaper, and uh, has features that not only include all the features, essentially, that are on that great Kenner plastic toy, which is still a phenomenal toy, but even has more playability to it. Um, and you can check out, we, we blogged so far on the Death Star, and I, I think we blogged on the Droid Factory, which also has significant differences for cost saving. Also, the English are just chintzy. You know, yeah, well, yeah. You know, we know that. Ron, Ron adds that the English are just chintzy. I don't know if that's true because they got to pay in pounds sterling, and that's like three times as much. So what you're saying, Yehuda, is people should go to the Star Wars Collector's Archive to learn about Palatoy toys. I totally agree with you. I'll let you get back to showing your collection off to Ross presently. All right, now, now Ross actually just made a point about the, the, about the cantina, uh, about the Palatoy Cantina. What, what point did you have? There's the same creepy British kid on the Palatoy Cantina. There is potentially Yehuda on some of the other boxes? Well, you know... Or the, they're just all creepy, creepy it, it, British it's kids. It's not that the Kenner kids were always such lookers either. And you have to remember it was a decade, it was the 70s. And, um, you know, and maybe we'll blame the photographer and all that because they're, they're lovely children, I'm sure. No, this kid but, is an ogre. And I'm going to show it. This kid is an ogre. Let's look at the other Palatoy ogres right now. 
Okay, now we're looking at the land of the Jawas. Is it the same ogre, or is it a different ogre? I'm afraid it's the same it's lovely the same man. It's, <laughs> it's the same Palatoy ogre on the Palatoy land of the Jawas. He's you know, Although I will say, the kid on the Palatoy Death Star is a looker. I mean, <laughs> that kid looks like he could be in like a boy band. He might be in... Uh, what do they come up with for boy bands out there? One Direction or... Yeah, Slim Gallagher. Playing with his DT Vader. And actually, the, the, the kid on the Kenner Death Star Station has some kind of... Uh, Mo haircut. Mo haircut, overbite. He actually looks, he looks a lot like Jim Carrey in Dumber Dumber. <laughs> Dude, I want a pencil in his teeth. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll destroy that box. Just, <laughs> just the pencil and the tooth. Okay, so we've now officially named the kid <laughs> on the front of the Palatoy Toys, the Palatoy Ogre. All right, and that's it. That's the uh, 63.5, Yehuda. You know, I think I want to put this out there. If you guys are out at a, at a get-together and you're at someone's collection and you want to record a podcast like this, you know, say who you are, what you're checking out, what you're learning, I'll put it on the feed. You know, why not, right? We can have more podcasts on here. What do you think of that idea, Yehuda? I think that's great. I want to hear from everybody. There are so many voices out there, and the more we see that's going on on Facebook, the more people we realize we need to bring together into the community so we are able to all learn stuff together and, uh, you know, and, and see what's already been done and see what other discoveries we can have in the future together. Yeah. All right, dude. Take it easy. I'm sorry. Mr. Peace and Love. Jeez. I, I tried. God, you know, I thought working with Steve was hard with his kindness and no, friendliness. Like, peace ah, and love. You, know, so you, you make me, because you're so nice, you make me have to up the, the jerk factor, you know? <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Well, thanks to, to Ross and to Ron. And thanks to Steve in absentia for permitting me <laughs> to put out this episode without his participation. Um, but he'll still have to put it up on the blog post because I have yet to blog. On Plus, the archive. Steve, you're, you're a saint for dealing with Sky on a monthly <laughs> yes. basis. So thanks, bro. All right. So uh, we will see you in episode 64. Uh, by we, I mean Steve and I. And uh, Wampa Wampa. Wampa Wampa. You know what Steve would say. Yes, I do know what Steve would say. He would say... No, no, no. no you shouldn't say what he would say. How do you say goodbye in Hebrew? I, I would... Okay, shalom. So, the same way you say hello or lehitraot, which means I'll see you later. It's too heavy. Shalom. Okay, so let's try that again. Wampa wampa. Lehitraot. Shalom. With a talented Star Wars picture display bag and certificate...